Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. These two books, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, they were written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers that he dearly loved, but a group of believers that were navigating great opposition and great difficulty. And Paul seeks to remind them of several truths as well as to encourage them in faithfulness to Christ as well as the continual growth in Christ. And so I trust that it will be a blessing to us as we are once again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's an oath that many a student of medicine has taken. It's a solemn promise that governs the methodology and execution of their duties. And though it finds its history in secular thought, it reflects many biblical principles of care and concern for a fellow human being. Now, I'm speaking of the Hippocratic Oath, and doctors around the world have pledged to benefit their patients, to avoid harm, and to maintain high character in the execution of their duties to care. In its inception, it was meant to prevent malpractice of those early physicians. See, some doctors were not seeking the best for their patients. And Hippocrates decided he was going to be different. He was going to utilize his knowledge for the benefit of his patient, and he called others to do the same. This marked a turning point in medical care in history, and we have no doubt been the beneficiaries of this pledge even centuries later. Now, I'm sure we all know why one would need an oath like this. It is because great damage can be done if medical care is not properly administered. The stakes are high. Think about this. The health and life itself is in the balance. So careful, thoughtful, and loving care is necessary. But then I started to think about how spiritual care is often administered. And it made me realize that often people don't administer spiritual care in a careful, thoughtful, loving way. In the secular world, people utilize man-centered solutions that often merely put a band-aid over problems. Or maybe you would go to a Christian counselor, and the spiritual care that's given in some churches may be biblically based, but is ministered in a way that causes more damage. How many of us have ever sought help and then been sorely disappointed with the care that we received See, we all know that we are called to care for one another. But I wonder, do we have guidelines that help us to govern how we would do that? Well, that led me to our text for the evening. And if you remember a couple times ago, as I had opportunity to preach, I preached from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. And I spoke on the mandate of restoration, that we are all called to restore such an one, the fellow believers around us. We are called to counsel and to help and to lend a helping hand so that we can get back on the sidewalk of sanctification and growth and usefulness for our Savior. So we have been called to this ministry, but I wonder, do we know how or do we know the process to help our fellow believer? Our text for the evening is going to help us with that. We're going to look at those guidelines 
given to those who seek to help others by God's grace. And I trust that we will come to understand that because every follower of Christ is called to help present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, as we have heard this morning in Colossians chapter 1, that we must do it then biblically. And Paul lays, out, lays that out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now one caveat as we begin. I will say the subject matter that is discussed this evening will concern believers primarily. It is believers helping believers with their struggles. This will be true biblical counseling explained this evening. And you may ask, well, what about the unsaved and their problems? How do we help them? Well, for those who are unsaved, there really is only one solution for them. And that is that they need Christ. They need the gospel. And so counseling, true biblical counseling, is only possible when you have the Holy Spirit within. If you don't have the Holy Spirit within, then we lovingly evangelize those individuals. They don't need help with their problems. They need a new heart. And so at the outset, again, I want to make sure that we understand the things that we're going to cover this evening are not going to work unless you have the Holy Spirit within your heart. You're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is part of the book of Thessalonians where Paul walks through very great difficulties that the Thessalonians are encountering, great opposition. If you want the history of this, uh, the narrative of the Thessalonian uh, ministry, you would go to Acts chapter 17. And what happened in Acts chapter 17 is Paul comes into Thessalonica and things go incredibly well early on. People are trusting in Christ. People of Greek, uh, whether you're a Jew or you're Gentile, they were trusting Christ. Things were going well. But then there came a point when people started understanding what was happening in the city square. And it brought about great opposition to the point where Paul actually had to leave in the middle of the night. And he went to another city nearby called Berea, and that's where you get to uh, read about the Berean believers who were more noble than those in Thessalonica because as Paul declared the gospel, they searched the scriptures daily. But then the people from Thessalonica made it to Berea, and then Paul had to leave in the middle of the night there, and then he went on to Athens. And he left so fast that Paul was very concerned with these believers in Thessalonica. And so Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how things were going. He wasn't sure if he was able to spend the amount of time to bring them into maturity, and he wanted to make sure that he was going to head off any issues that maybe would have arisen because these believers were still young in the faith. Fast forward a little bit, and we find out that actually they were doing very well. But Paul wants to write to them to remind them to continue to grow and continue to develop and continue to mature. And so you have 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and by the time we get to chapter 5, he's dealing with things uh, that a group of people who are in turmoil are starting to consider, and that would be the future. What is going to happen 
what has happened, and then now what will happen in the future. And so he talks about the day of the Lord. He talks about future events. And then right here at the end of First Thessalonians, then he says, now because these things will come to pass, now here is how you should live, and here is how you should navigate your life, because the rapture is just around the corner. And so in these last few verses, we have several different commands that are just given to us through the Apostle Paul, and we're going to spend just this evening looking at one verse, because in this one verse, it gives us a methodology or a roadmap to help one another. And so I would encourage you, if you've ever received the phone call in the middle of the night, or maybe you've received an email or a text message from a fellow believer that says, I need help. Or you ask a person, hey, how are you today? And they respond, do you really want to know? And you say, well, yes. And then they just promptly unload on you. How do you respond? Do you just say, well, be warmed and filled. Have a nice day. I'll be praying for you. See ya. Or do you actually go through the process to lend aid like we are required to lend aid? And how do you make sure that you are administering that aid that is actually going to minister hope and help to that person? Because as I mentioned before, how many of us maybe have asked for help? And then we walk away saying, well, that was no help at all. I feel worse than when I went and talked to that person. So with that in mind, how do we help when we are in difficulty? Or maybe when we are to help others in difficulty. Can I put it that way? Our text for the evening is verse 14. So let's take a look at that and then we'll break it down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient towards all men. We have these commands given to us. The verse begins, we exhort you. This is a command. This is the expectation that I have for you, Thessalonians. And then he says, the brethren. Again, I'm going to reiterate, this is the the work of believers, helping other believers. Helping other believers to grow and to develop and to navigate this life. So then we can stand before Christ and we, as was mentioned before, we can present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So we have the roadmap. First, we need to understand that because we are called to help others spiritually, we must challenge wrongdoing. Wrongdoing and wrong thinking. He starts off and he says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. It was interesting, as pastor was speaking this morning in in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, he explained from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 the word for admonish. It was the word nuthateo, and that is the exact same word that we have here. And what is it, what what are we expected to do? Well, the command is that we are to admonish each other. That word admonish, as I mentioned, is nuthateo, and it it's, has the idea of calling attention to something, specifically an error. It's not an arrogant thing, but it's, it's calling attention with love and with the objective to help that believer to grow in greater Christ-likeness. We've all seen those individuals who are really good at picking apart other people. 
They can see the error of other people very, very well. And sometimes they deliver that message in a way that is not helpful. But does that mean that we don't say something when we see something? No. In fact, the command is that we are to admonish. But we are to admonish in love and with the objective to help that believer to grow. This admonishment may include a warning where you go and you say, you know, God's word says you must stop this thing or this thinking, this line of thinking. It may include a warning or it may include an exhortation. God's word says you must start doing something. But I will say it will always call one to return to a biblical way of living. Now here's a little side note. Make sure that when you do admonish, that you use the Bible as the standard of right and wrong. Can I say, thus says the Lord is the most powerful admonition available. When we come and we present the the Bible and we say, have you considered what God's word says? That is when true help can actually be administered. It's interesting if I, so I uh, grew up with two brothers And if my parents came to me and said, hey, listen, Nate, could you go tell Mark, my younger brother, who is now in glory, so he's he's doing great, but could you go tell Mark that I expect him to do a certain thing, clean your room, do the dishes? If I went to my younger brother and I were to say, hey, Mark, go clean the room, go clean your room, hey, Mark. Go do, your, go do the dishes. You're supposed to do the dishes. Now, I had every expectation that Mark would look at me and be like, I don't think so. I mean, who do you think you are telling me what I got to do? But if I were to go to Mark and I were to say, hey, Mark, uh, mom wants you to do the dishes. Hey, hey Mark, uh, dad told me that I was supposed to let you know that you're supposed to clean your room. Can I say that's completely different? Because now I come as a representative, not of myself, with no power, but I come as a representative of one who does have the authority. And so when you are admonishing another fellow believer, can I say, come with God's word. That's the way you should admonish. Say, thus says the Lord. This is the expectation that God has laid out for us. Can you please Can we please do this together? And so we have to be careful when we do admonish that we use the Bible as the standard of right and wrong. If we come on our own preferences, if we come with our own ideas, then don't expect people to look at you and say, oh, you know, you're right. But when we come with God's word, here's the interesting thing. If if they decide to not listen to you, Well, then you've done your job, and it's between them and God. But we are to come and to admonish each other. Can I say this is kind of not popular right now? It's not popular to go to someone and say, hey, you know, this is what God's word says. But we do have the command. We have the expectation. Brethren, you are to do this. You are to admonish each other. Who is the audience of this admonishment? Because I think this is important. You have to be able to pick up. And you have to be able to, in a moment, prayerfully uh, ask the Lord's help to understand, does this person need admonishment? And we'll talk a little bit more about the other options. But who are the ones who need admonishment? 
The audience here is the disorderly Christian, and you see verse 14, it says, uh, mourn them that are unruly. <clears throat> the word unruly has the idea of those who by their own choices continue to manifest a deportment that does not coincide with biblical principle. What do I mean by that? I mean that when God's word says one thing, they choose to do nothing or they choose to do the opposite. They know it is right and they know it is expe what is expected of them and yet they choose to sit idly by. This speaks of a soldier who is disorderly, slovenly, and lazy. It's interesting, this, is a, this idea of idleness is a theme that is interwoven through the book of First and Second Thessalonians. For some odd reason, there just seemed to be a contingency in Thessalonica that wanted to kind of skate by without actually working. They wanted to be able to have and take advantage of all of the benefits of being with, within the body of Christ without actually providing any work or providing any uh, input. And so Paul writes to these individuals and says, you must warn those who are sitting idly by, those who are walking in a disorderly fashion. They had no, con uh, no intention to contribute spiritually or practically. And so Paul then writes to them, even in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, very popular verses, and that is, if anyone would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and they eat their own bread. So there was a contingency, a group that was just kind of sitting idly by and saying, well, you know, if the Lord's going to come back, why do I need a job? If the Lord's going to come back, why don't you take care of me? So they sat idly by, and Paul says, you need to warn those individuals. You need to admonish them. They were disorderly. Paul declares that when we observe within, a fellow, uh, within our fellow believer a disorderly action or attitude, we must address it. Often we say, you know, it's not my problem. Or, you know, that's between God and them. Or, you know, on the other hand, if someone doesn't uh, approach you, you might say, well, don't judge me. Or I can do what I want because it's all under grace. But Paul sees that those who are choosing to be disorderly have actually brought ire on the name of Christ and are harming the gospel work as they flippantly choose to reject biblical command and principle. And so he says, you must warn them. Beloved, sometimes you will have to confront wrongdoing with biblical truth. We are called to stand firm on Scripture. And if we have some that are not following Scripture, we are called to lovingly go alongside and say, have you considered what the pages of Scripture say in relation to this area? And so sometimes we may have to be firm. If you have someone who is thinking improper thoughts based off of God's word, then you need to go and you need to warn them. You need to admonish them. 
And sometimes that can be firm, sometimes that can be difficult, but we are called to do it. But I ask this question, should we use this firm approach in every situation? Some people need the firm hand, but some people don't. And that's where we get to our second uh, individual that needs help. Pick back up in verse 14. It says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Here's the second group. Comfort the feeble-minded. So because we are called now, secondly, we are called to help others spiritually, we must be encouraging. The command is clear. We are to give comfort. Comfort the feeble-minded. What does that word comfort mean? Well, literally, it actually has the idea of to relate near to something. Another way you could translate it is to call or to console. It's the equivalent to encourage. We are called as believers to encourage each other and to build up one another through action or word. Those who need that consolation, they need encouragement. They need to be uplifted. What are we trying to, what are we trying to, what am I trying to get across? Well, to understand this idea, one only has to look at the spirit of the Messiah. So in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 3, there is a prophecy about the Messiah. And the prophecy talks about his spirit and the way that he goes about his business. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 3, it talks about how he will not break a bruised reed. He would not, or he would seek to then restore that individual in gentleness and care. That was the promise of the Messiah. And of course, we know Christ being the Messiah, if we studied his life and the way he went about his business, there were times that he was incredibly firm with people. But then you also see a whole other side of him, and it was comfort, and it was support. And as he's gathering together with sinners, and he's eating with sinners, and as people are coming and they're, they're even washing his feet with their hair, you have the religious leaders who are looking and saying, well, does he not know who this person is? This is a sinner, and why is he even uh, having any time or giving any attention to a person like that? And then you see Christ's response. And it is one of care, and it is one of comfort, and it is one of support. Why? Because many times those sinners that he ate with, they knew they were sinners. They knew that they were broken. They knew they needed him. And so he was there, and he, as it mentioned in Isaiah 42, he was not going to break that bruised reed. We're called to counsel the same way. We are to relate near to someone. When someone comes to you and says, I'm struggling in this area, are you quick to pull out God's word and just lambast them with the commands? Or are you quick to come and say, well, let's walk together. Let's figure this out. Let's develop a plan of action based off of God's word that will help you. So the command is to comfort. Who's the audience? The feeble. It says right there, the feeble-minded. 
It's literally the faint-hearted. It's those who are overwhelmed by the things of this life. It's these, uh, these, are, these are those who have, uh, are not as strong as others in the moment. They know what is expected of them, but they are unsure if they can fulfill those commands. See, none of us are always at our best, right? But that doesn't always mean that we need to be lectured or reminded of God's commands to get back into an orderly way of life. For the feeble, their greatest need is not condemnation or firm, harsh exhortation or warning. Why? Because most likely they already know the commands and they see their inability to achieve them. This is the worn Christian broken over their sin and at the same time discouraged that they are not yet who they should be in their walk with Christ. This group needs then no further instruction, but rather encouragement. Again, the question, are you always using a jackhammer when a feather would be better? We must be encouraging to those around us. So, first off, we must warn. Second off, we must encourage. Thirdly, we must then help. And you see, again, the verse, comfort the feeble-minded, and then now we have another phrase, support the weak. And thirdly, because we are called to help others spiritually, we must help them, support them. The command is to help. And that word help has the idea of to adhere to. Stick to them like glue. I remember when I would play basketball when I was younger. And one of the things my coach used to say, when we went into play, if we were on defense, the phrase was, stick to them like glue. In other words, don't let them get away. And can I say, spiritually, we are called to stick to each other like glue. We are called to help. We are called to adhere to that person. We are, to, we are called to give care for that person, has the idea of holding fast or holding on to or supporting. And I think of crutches when I think of this word. They hold on to those things. It goes under their arm. It gives them that support for just that time when they need it. Or I think of a fireman who goes into a burning building and he pulls out a person he carries them. They even have a fireman carry. They throw them over their shoulder and they carry them to safety. They drag hold of a person and they carry the load with them. There may be individuals who are worn to a point in their life that they need some help being carried for a short time. Life at times can seem harder than we can handle. And in those moments, the body of Christ is expected to lend the physical and spiritual care for those moments. And for the original audience, this could look as practical as bandaging wounds after a believer was beaten for his faith. Because that actually happened. Or providing food for a wife and kids while the husband was in prison because he got caught preaching the word. See, help is deeper than just saying, hey, be warmed and filled. I'll be praying for you. But it's actually providing that aid. So we are commanded to help. Who's the audience here? The audience is the weak. 
says, comfort the weak or support the weak. The weak being those who do not have any strength. These are individuals who have been weakened by life or by sin. Maybe it is a sin that they chose. And they're reaping the consequences of it and it just seems too heavy for them to bear. They need someone to help carry them along until they were able to stand on their own two feet spiritually. This is like the person who calls 911 and are in desperate need and cannot help themselves. We are called to step in. We are called to support. We are called to lend triage to help. And so we have been called to help out these individuals. We are called to warn. We are called to encourage. We are called to help. Now these all, these individuals all, should never feel that they are alone or abandoned. The obstinate, the discouraged, the weak among us should never feel that they have been cast aside. If we're in the family of God, we must seek to be a blessing to all of these individuals. I don't know about you, but maybe you're looking around and you say, wow, that can be hard. That can be difficult. And if you've ever attempted to help, maybe you've attempted to warn, attempted to encourage, attempted to uh, support, you'll know that sometimes it can be incredibly draining, can be incredibly trying, and yes, even incredibly frustrating. And in that case, we have now one other thing that Paul mentions, and it's something that we will all need to navigate the ministry to these individuals. And Paul finishes his directive with this one final directive. And can I say, it's kind of hard. We've already read it, so you probably know what I'm talking about. We have the command to warn, command to comfort, command to support, but then lastly, be patient towards all men. We need to understand, fourth, then, that because we are called to help others spiritually, we must be patient with them all. The command is to be patient. What does that word patient mean? Well, it means to bear the offenses and the injuries of others. In our demeanor, we are to be mild. We are to be slow in avenging. Maybe someone has wronged you. And we respond, our response should be patience. We are to be long-suffering to them. I love the word patient in the Old Testament. It actually has the idea of long of nostrils. God is long of nostrils with us. And why would that be so important? Well, if you've ever been frustrated with someone, you typically will exhale, right? And and your nose begins to turn red. And then it kind of leaks into the rest of your face. And your face becomes red, beet red, as you are frustrated with someone. And the idea in the, uh, in the Old Testament, when God is patient with us, it means that his nostril is incredibly long. So it takes a long time before his face becomes beet red with anger. And so we are called to be the exact same with our fellow believer. We are called to be patient, long-suffering, slow to anger, and slow to punish 
I think within the body of Christ, I think the temptation is when someone messes up, we just write them off. We say, well, you've blown it, you messed up, you're done. But really what we are called to do is we are called to be patient. We are called to work with that person. And then he says, towards all men. He says we're supposed to be patient, but we're supposed to be patient with everybody. I mean, even that one person that like, really bothers us, that one person that just gets under our skin, we're supposed to be patient with that person? Or maybe you've been working for years with a person, and it looks like it's one step forward and two steps back, and they just aren't making any progress, and you just want to throw your hands up and say, I'm done. God calls us to be patient towards that person as we work to minister. Whatever they need, whether warning, comfort, or support, we are to be patient. No matter the process of aid you are lending, whether that's admonishment, encouragement, or help, patience must govern our process. It may take time. It may take a lot of effort, as I mentioned. It may be incredibly messy, and it may seem like there's no progress being made, but that does not matter. We are called to patiently work with all men. Think about this. They have a place within the body of Christ. Also consider, we would desire patience from our fellow believers when they seek to lend us aid, right? And if that's not enough, consider, again, how God patiently works with us. How often could God have rightfully dealt harshly with us? Maybe even in one day you go back multiple times. Lord, I'm so sorry I messed up again. Lord, oh, I messed it up again. Father, please forgive me. And God could have rightfully dealt harshly with us. And yet once again, he patiently ministers his word to our hearts. In the like, we must be patient with our fellow believer. So just as review, here's the expectation. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. To wrap this up, I love tools. I love power tools. I love hand tools. I love woodworking tools. But have you ever gotten a new tool and you got excited to use it that you had this little piece of paper called an owner's manual and you kind of threw that aside and you thought, I got this. I know how this works. Come on. Okay, maybe it's just me. <laughs> uh, so you throw that, you throw that uh, owner's manual aside and you thought you knew how to use that tool, but then you put it to use and then you find out actually you didn't know how to use that tool and you've actually ruined the project because you didn't follow the directions. You know, it could be a new appliance. It could be a new electronic device. It could be something in the garage. Whatever you get, it's so important to know how to use the tools properly that you have. Why? Because we know the damage that can be done if we don't use the right tool in the right way. And what's interesting is that we understand this in the physical realm, but do we grasp this truth in the spiritual realm as well? Think about this. We have everything we need for life and godliness in the gospel and God's word. So the tool is not the problem. The tool of God's word is not the problem. 
The question is, and the problem becomes, when we begin to utilize that tool in the life of a believer in a way that ministers something other than grace to its hearer. And this evening we learned how we ought to use God's word in the lives of those around us. We may have to be confrontational at times. We may have to admonish those going in the wrong direction of life. We may have to say, please come back, come back this direction. Change your heart. This is what God's word expects of us. Please follow God's word. So we may have to admonish. This is a necessary use of scripture, but we also must be careful, full of care. We must comfort, we must support those who are struggling in those different ways. We are called to help. James says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know you are supposed to help, then you must lend aid. We can't neglect, we can't refer, but I would say we must help in a way that is sensitive to the needs of that individual. Again, you're going to have to ask for wisdom. You're going to, ask to have to ask for help from the Holy Spirit. And when that person calls you and says, I need help, you're going to have to say, Lord, help me to know what they need. If they need warning, Lord, help me to see that. If they need comfort, Lord, help me to be sensitive to that. If they need that support, Lord, help me to understand how I can do that and then the steps necessary. This means we need God's help and we need to have a focus on others and their needs. You can't just say one size fits all. This is what you need. Fix it and move on. We take each person, we take each issue, and we seek to minister God's grace through God's word in a way that is helpful to them and is pleasing to our Savior who is our pattern. This evening, won't you ask God for the wisdom to minister the word to help others in the right way? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We're thankful that it is sufficient for everything we need. We're thankful that we get to play a part in helping others to know you and to love you and to serve you. Oh, Lord, we would, if we would confess, though, that often we seek to rush to a certain judgment. Or maybe we would even minister God's word, maybe in the wrong way. Lord, we are thankful that you still can use your word in spite of us. But Lord, would you help us, your servants, would you help us to be sensitive to the needs around us and be able to understand what each individual needs. Lord, if there's one who's here and they're not saved, Lord, help them to realize they need Christ. That's the most important thing. Lord, help us as we lend aid. If there's a person that needs the gospel, help us to see that and understand that and then declare the gospel to them. But Lord, for those of us who are your children, help us to be sensitive and to use God's word, your word, in a way that is pleasing to you as we seek to help one another so that we can present every person perfect in our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.